If we are to be a holy, be holy like our Lord, if we are to be holy people like our Lord, we must be loving like he is. And in this chapter, Romans 12, we're going to see this. One of my favorite chapters of the Bible, actually. Um, Romans 12, and if you haven't committed it to memory, I encourage you to do so. Because there's a lot of good stuff in there to live by. Especially when you start with verse 9. Now, I'm not discounting the other verses of chapter 12, of course. But when you begin through all that, uh, verse 9 all the way to the end, and then as we're going to look into Romans chapter 13, we're going to see some probably some difficult teaching here uh, for some of us, uh, possibly, I, maybe. But uh, when it comes to government, we might squirm a little bit as far as when we hear the word submission and government um, and stuff like that. <laughs> so, but in, re- in, in many respects... We live in a dog-eat-dog world here. It's, it's a me-first type of thing that seems to be pretty pervasive as far as the attitude goes. And it's really light years away from Jesus' command to love God supremely and to love others as oneself. But again, like I said, if we are to be holy like our Lord is, as is commanded in Scripture, we must be loving like He is. And, and that's... that's that's a pretty big task. Enabled by the Holy Spirit, believers can lead a life in stark contrast to this me-first lifestyle. And we need to. We need to live in stark contrast to that. So that people can see that it's not always that case, me-first. Our unbelieving neighbors, unbelieving relatives and friends will know we are Jesus' followers by our love for one another. Genuine love disdains evil and cultivates a a godly virtue such as joyful hope, patience in affliction, faithfulness in prayer. And authentic love produces humility. It exercises forgiveness. It extends help to needy Christian brothers and sisters. And it shows respect and obedience to authorities. This portion of Scripture is probably not very easy to follow at times. It's difficult. But like I said, enabled by the Holy Spirit, you're able to do this. Holiness is an expression of being rather than doing. Holiness is an expression of being rather than doing. As being brings about a holy transformation... Paul showed what the natural outpouring of doing looks like. And that is the context here that we're going to be looking at here and the emphasis of of, uh, Paul's message here in Romans chapter 12, verses 9, and we'll take it all the way through Romans 13 to uh, verse 14. So since we are people who are committed to following Jesus and we strive to be a community where God's love changes lives, We need to look at how holy love reaches people in our personal relationships, whether they're friend or whether they're foe, and with those in authority, as well as in all our relationships in our community. See how this holy love reaches people. So first of all, as we look at Romans chapter 12, 9 through 21, we see a genuine love for society. And if you look with me in verse 9, we're going to take take these uh, different portions here and see what this love looks like. And if you're taking notes, all these descriptions start with the letter A to keep you 
reminded of these things. So in verse 9, we read, Love must be sincere, hate what is evil, cling to what is good. This is a love that is authentic. We need to have an authentic love in order to have genuine love for society. Paul here began to unpack a powerful description of authentic love. Now, the Greek term for love used here in verse 9, as you've heard before, is agape. Pretty familiar with that term. It is divine love and can only be generated within the bounds of a relationship with the divine. You can't do it without that kind of relationship. You sure can try to love other people, but if you don't have Christ's love in you, it's difficult to show agape love. And Paul's warning against being fake meant that affection should be genuine. When we love one another, it should be sincere. But he added that authentic love for Christ will hate evil and cling to good. The term used here for hate is an extreme, extreme term. It depicts the abhorrence or the loathing of evil. Now, I don't know if you're there. Maybe you are at times when it hits home. But whenever we see it, whenever we hear of it, we should always have that type of outlook, the abhorrence of, the, the loathing of evil. Hate evil. Cling to what is good. In verse, nine, in verse 10, we also see that this love needs to be affectionate. Love that is affectionate. Look with me in verse 10. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourselves. So genuine love removes self from the picture, making way for brotherly love. Philadelphia, brotherly love. And romantic love is often viewed as us against the world. We'll stick together, and we're against them. But even romantic love is spiritually authenticated by evidence of Christian affection for others. There is no us against the world in God's economy of love. Instead, it must be us bringing his love to the world, not against it. This is the reality of true discipleship. And the, the church is a spiritual family, and warm affection should characterize the members of any family, including the church. So love needs to be affectionate. This love also, too, as we see in verse 11, needs to be active. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. This love should exhibit itself quite the opposite of laziness, slothfulness, carelessness. In fact, its opposition to such character is so strong that the term used here for spiritual fervor denotes a boiling over. So our love should boil over in that way, and we keep that spiritual fervor serving the Lord. It's a boiling over of this, this attitude, this zeal. So it is a love that is active. In verses 12 through 13, it's a love that is aware. A love that is aware. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. This verse reminds us of how aware we should be of the needs of the saints. The Lord's people here refers to his children, not historically celebrated icons of spirituality, as is commonly thought of the term saints, because not, not, not often we, uh, we act saintly. 
But when love is pure and is generated from inside, from our relationship with Christ, it becomes a love that looks for ways to be hospitable. I mean, if you look at what we value as a church, one of them is a righteous refuge. And we value providing a place that promotes hope and healing for all. And in order to do that, we need to be aware of our surroundings. People who are coming to find hope. People who are coming to find healing. And we need, in order to promote that, we need to be aware of those situations. And to show God's love to them. In verse 14, we see that love needs to be one that is anesthetized. Spell that one. Anesthetized. Uh, it says, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. At first glance here, it might, it might seem kind of contradictory to speak of a love that is free of sensation, right on the tail of a, of a hospitable love that is aware of needs. Be aware of everyone's needs. Be aware of how, how you need to love them. But now, don't be aware. <laughs> and the thing is, love is to be aware of the needs of others and yet willing to ignore the hurts that others may inflict on us. We show the love. We are aware of what kind of needs they might have. But if they come back at us hurtful, then love needs to be anesthetized to those things. We need to not be sensitive to that type of situation. The concept there is very foreign to the unsacrificed or the, Ro- un- the Romans, those who are not the Romans 12, 1, 2 individual. You have not given yourself as a living sacrifice to God. That's a, it's a difficult thing to do then to try to ignore or not be sensitive to the hurtful words and actions of people around you, especially when you're trying to love them. But the living sacrifice is to actually bless those who inflict hurt. So no matter what comes back at you, if you bring out God's love, no matter what comes back to you, the hurtful words, the hurtful actions, we need to bring blessing. That's that living sacrifice. We need to be aware of the need, but anesthetized to the hurt. So be aware. And it plays in again to what we value, relational connectedness in our church. We value treating all people with love, grace, and compassion. How can we do that without being that living sacrifice? Being able to ignore those hurtful words and hurtful actions, but still continue to bring love, bring blessing. We need to be able to do those things if we're going to be relationally connected. Because we need, to, we need to treat people with love. We need to treat people with grace. We need to treat people with compassion. Difficult to do if you haven't come to Romans 12, chapter 12, verses 1 and 2 at all. In verse 15, we see a love here that is apropos. Apropos. Says in verse 15, rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn. And apropos love is both relevant and opportune. It shares the response of, uh, the response of others, whether in grieving, uh, a low, uh, or rejoicing in a triumph. So when you're with those who are grieving, you grieve with them. When you're with those who are, who are rejoicing in victory, you, try, you, you rejoice with them as well. There should not be a conflict in our hearts when a brother or sister experiences that kind of elation. 
Someone going through victory and you're going, well, I wish that was me. <sighs> Rats. That's not the thing we're talking. We can't be doing these things. <laughs> we, we rejoice with them. We hurt with them when they hurt. We should be able to genuinely rejoice in another's victory. And in the same way, we must be able to effectively mourn when others mourn. You know, and I, I kind of find this difficult as a Facebook user. <laughs> Get on Facebook, you see a response from someone, or you see a posting from someone. And they're going through a difficult time. You go, oh, sad face and all that, and I'm praying for you. And then scroll down a couple more down. And then all of a sudden, someone's going through a wonderful time. You go, oh, yay, and you get happy with them. And I'm thinking, what about that person that just saw your post about that, and now you're posting something else that you're happy? It seems schizophrenic sometimes when we reply to posts. I mean, this last weekend, uh, we, Becky took the North Clackamas Christian School Choir to state on Monday, and, uh, and, and they won state, got first place again. And so all the posts about it, and it was like, woohoo, all that going on. That same evening, after we came back from Corvallis in the state competition, that same evening, I realized from a person's post, a girl who used to be in our youth group at Labish Center, connected the accident in Seattle of that crane coming down and those two iron workers that were killed. One of them was in my youth group, Andrew Yoder, and his family, uh, devastated. And they're on Facebook as well, too. So here I am looking at all these North Clackamas Christian School first place, woohoo, wahoo, rejoice. And I'm going, because oh. I look at this and the Yoder family, and I'm thinking, they're going through a lot of pain right here. And so I get in conflict sometimes with the Facebook likes and all that stuff, but... We need to rejoice with those who rejoice. We need to mourn with those who mourn. Don't mix them up. <laughs> that could be a, a devastating thing. So love needs to be apropos. Also, too, in verses 16 through 18, love that is, it needs to be a, approachable. A love that is approachable. Look with me in verses 16 through 18. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. So while it's, it's true that Christians will not agree on all things, we must have a mutual trust that makes for unity. We must be able to agree to disagree on some things. We are to be approachable by anyone, regardless of race socioeconomic class, even religious belief. And this can only come about as Christians take very seriously the admonition of Paul in verse 3. He says, not, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought. And we need to make sure we check ourselves with that verse. This is a love that will do anything in its power to offer acceptance for anyone. For me, these are my verses. I love verses 16 through 18. If at all possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Oh, yeah, I want to live at peace. I'm a peacemaker. I want to make sure everyone's doing all right. Live in harmony with one another. Can't we get along? Yes, we can. I'm sure we can. And to help them get along. Also, verses 19 through 21. We see... Uh, finally, a, a love that is anointed. A love that is anointed. 
Look with me in verses 19 through 21. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Now, God makes it very clear that we are anointed with his authority to be bold in our distribution of love and forgiveness, reconciliation. But we are not anointed to carry out punishment or justice. That's not our deal. We shouldn't be picking that up. That is God's and God's alone to distribute. Anointed love can flow only from a sacrifice that is living and yet completely dead to self. It's an interesting two-step process there. When we choose to take these matters into our own vengeful hands, we rob God of the opportunity to do his work. We think we know best how we can get back at this person. We know we think we can say the words or do the things that will just put that person in its place. That's not our business. Our business is to pray for that person because that person's in God's hands and, oh, wouldn't want to be in in the hands of an angry God at all. So we pray for them. Don't rob God of the opportunity to do his work. It is also evident that social action is attached to the spirit of this compelling love. If your enemy is hungry, what do you do? Give him food. If he's thirsty, you give him something to drink. Vengeance may break an enemy's body. Sticks and stones, right? But kindness will break the heart. And so we need to be kind to those who aren't so kind to us. It's a tough task, I know. I understand. But maybe ultimately it may lead to a broken and contrite spirit toward God. You might be that first step if you show kindness to that person in some way. In verse 21, we catch a glimpse of the culmination of this agape love in action. Instead of being overcome by evil, we are, to, we are able to overcome evil with good. The, term, the Greek term used here for overcome, its, it's meaning is to conquer, to carry off uh, to victory, to, to come away victorious. And that is what this love is all about, which Paul described in these 13 verses. It is a love that overcomes. So Romans 12, 9 through 21, a great collection of what this love looks like in action. Now turn with me to Romans 13. And let's see what, (laughs) let's see how we we react to this. The first seven verses there, we'll look at real quickly here. And we'll see that a holy love respects authority. Holy love respects authority. Look with me at verses 1 through 5. And we'll see here that authorities are established by God. Verse 1. Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from fear of the one in authority? Then do what is right, and you will be commended. 
For the one in authority is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for rulers do not bear the sword for no reason. They are God's servants, agents of wrath, to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Therefore, it is necessary, and here's the word, to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but also as a matter of conscience. Stop there at verse 5. So having shown what holy love requires of believers as they interact with non-believers, Paul turned his attention to what this love required of us in relation to the higher powers of the governing authorities. These few verses, again, may be pretty difficult to swallow at times, especially for the believer who is attempting to work out allegiance to God and to government, because sometimes they are in conflict. These themes of submission, peacefulness, and prayer for authorities runs throughout the New Testament, all the way through the New Testament. For instance, Paul's instruction to Titus in Titus chapter 3, verse 1, says, Remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good. So be subject to them. Paul's instruction to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 and 2 says, I urge then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. And of course, Peter's instruction to all the believers scattered throughout, First uh, Peter chapter 2, verses 13 through 17 says, and there's that word again, submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Wow. As Christians, it is true, our ultimate citizenship is in heaven. That's our focus. That's where we're at. That's, we, get our, we get our instructions from God. But we also live in this world. As Christians first and citizens second, we must still obey the laws of this state that are not in direct violation of God's law. Doesn't mean we don't follow, follow the, uh, the laws state because we don't like the laws. If it's in direct violation of God's law, then, then we need to stop, step back and go, okay, something different needs to happen here. We obey God-ordained ministers of justice because of our obligation to God himself. But the moral conscience can limit obedience. If the civil power demands that we violate the law of God, it is important that we obey God rather than people. Remember Paul's stand? Remember Daniel's stand? Remember those three Hebrew children? We trust in God. We follow His, His instructions. And if it comes in conflict with what the state's laws are, the, 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 you know, the United States, whatever you want, you know, the laws of, of our nation, then we need to step back and we say, sorry, it's, it's God we've got to follow, not, not, uh, not these laws. God wants to be reflected positively through us as we show not only a healthy respect for government, you need to obey the laws of government, but also as we commit our leaders to prayer 
you need to be praying for them, whether you like the people or not. I'm sure a lot of you have a disdain for who's in the presidency. You have a disdain for who's in the, in, in, in the seat of the governor right now. You've got to be praying for them, though. And not the prayers of, Lord, smite them. <laughs> Lord, you know, bless them. Remember Romans 12. Feed them. Give them something to drink. You need to be praying. Praying for our leaders. They need, they need your prayers. In verses 6 and 7 of Romans 13, we see here about taxes and honor. And here again, another tough teaching at times. Verses 6 and 7, This is also why you pay taxes, for the authorities are God's servants who give their full time to governing. Give to everyone what you owe them. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. Our allegiance to government as Christians is not allegiance to a person or a particular party. Rather, it is an allegiance to the office or the concept of human government provided by God. It's that position that we honor. We may have a hard time giving honor or respect to that person who's in that position, but we should be praying for that person, and we should be honoring that position of authority. So, paying taxes is not to be viewed as a political statement. It is merely our duty as Christians to be a positive reflection of God. Who conceptualized and ordained human government as our protectorate. Just as it reflects well in Christ when we are honest in our, our payment of taxes and what we owe, so it is also a positive reflection when we respect and honor those whom God has appointed to care for us in those authority positions. Respect and honor. Not my words, it's right here in God's word. And then continuing on in chapter 13, Romans 13, verses 8 through 14, we see here the holy love requires loving your neighbor as yourself. Look with me in verses 8 through 10. We'll see that there's a continual debt that we need to be paying. It says, let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and whatever other command there may be are summed up in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. So this passage is about the love we owe and God's desire that we be keenly aware of how our actions are a reflection of Him. How do we respond in love to those around us? Most people enjoy paying off debt. It's a, it's a great feeling to pay off that credit card, to pay off the, the debt that's going on, and to zero that out. Some people refuse to allow themselves to go into debt in the first place, and that's all right. That's a great move. But according to Paul, there is one debt that we all have and can never be fully paid off, and that is the debt to love one another. Why can't it be paid off? Because it's a recurring debt that can never be completely satisfied. You can't just go up to someone and say, okay, I'm going to love that person about 50% today. That should do it. I'm good there. There's no limit. There's no limit. We continue to love people on and on. It's a debt that we owe. 
As long as we live in a world with other people, we will accrue the obligation to love them. There's some people around us that need more love than others. And some people around us that are more difficult to love than others. But we still need to be giving that love. We will never reach the point that we can say, I have loved enough, I'm good, shouldn't be anymore. Love fulfills our obligations and the law. So we need to keep paying on the debt of love. That is an ongoing debt. And in verse 9, it says, And whatever other commandment there may be or summed up in this one rule, love your neighbor as yourself. So who is my neighbor? And that question has been asked before in Scripture. It was asked immediately after Jesus had given affirmation that love your neighbor as yourself was one of the two commandments that needed to be kept in order to have eternal life. And in response to this question, Jesus told the story that is commonly referred to as the parable of the Good Samaritan. Pretty, pretty familiar with that story, I'm sure found in Luke chapter 10. And in the parable, Jesus identified a Samaritan man as the only one of three men who actually demonstrated love and therefore was the only one who loved his neighbor. Christ first said, as Paul did all through Romans 12, that the only road to this kind of brotherly love is by first loving the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. So we have a debt to pay. And that debt is love. And look with me in the last uh, few verses here, 11 through 14, we'll wrap this up today. Romans 13, verse 11. And do this, understanding the present time. The hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber, because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave decently as in the daytime, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. Rather, clothe yourselves with the, with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. The imminence of Christ's return was a message often used by the apostles to remind the early church people of the urgency of holy living. Christ is coming back. Coming back, live, live, live right, obey Him. Make sure, make sure you're living the life pleasing to Him. And these last four verses of chapter 13 contain six strong admonitions from Paul. Let me review them real quickly with you. Put aside the deeds of darkness in verse 12. The action verb here denotes a deliberate casting away. It's, it's like finding something horrible underneath your bed. <laughs> Something horrible, awful, icky, yucky. You pick it up and you go, oh, and you cast it aside. That's what this is talking about. A deliberate casting away. We must choose to cast this, these, these things aside. These deeds of darkness. Also in verse 12, a second admonition that Paul gives us. Put on the armor of light. And armor also can mean weapons. And of course, weapons are more offensive in nature than armor. We need both. Put on means to clothe as with a garment. So Paul was playing quite a masterful, masterfully on the opposite of darkness and light here by maybe drawing a, a picture of casting off the, darkness, uh, the garment of darkness and then clothing ourselves with the garments of light. It's a descriptive thing here. 
Put on the armor of light. And then a third admonition, let us behave decently as in the daytime. That's an interesting saying. The purpose here is to attract the right kind of attention, the attention that reflects God, because His day is coming. So we need to behave decently. We need to attract that right kind of attention that reflects God. And then in verse 13, a fourth admonition, not in orgies and drunkenness. Uh, the Greek word here translated here as orgies was descriptive of a riotous procession of nighttime carousers. Imagine yourself in 2 a.m. downtown Portland, among the different bars, strip joints, stuff like that. You probably would come across some riotous procession of nighttime carousers. And the term used here for drunkenness was especially appalling to the Greek culture. And so you got these two things playing at each other. And so it got, it got their attention real quickly. A fifth admonition, also found in verse 13, not in sexual immorality and debauchery. And the term used for debauchery took the immorality a step further, if that's even possible. And the term described it as unbridled and shameless. So not in those things. And then a final admonition here in verse 13, not in dissension and jealousy. These terms indicate putting self first and causing strife while allowing envy to breed contentious rivalry. Wow. That's a mixture that's sure to kill. So Paul finished the chapter much like a parent sending children out, to the house, out of the house for the day. Make sure you clothe yourself with these things. Watch out for those things. Make sure you don't get into that. Make sure that happens there. Scooting the children along outside to play. Reminding us of which clothes to wear and all those other things. And all things, we must strive to look like Christ. If we don't give precaution in how to look like Christ, then we will anticipate how we can satisfy the flesh. We need to give attention to how we might look like Christ. That's why Paul urgently called for Christ's saints to wake up. And I believe that is the call for the church today. Wake up. Don't get caught in the slumber of, 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 of the world, putting you to sleep from your spiritual state, your relationship with Christ. Wake up because you could, just like that frog in the pot, slowly boiling away, you could, the same thing can happen to you as well. And before you realize it, how far are you from Christ? How far are you from that walk that you should be walking with, with Jesus? So don't let evil conquer you, as Romans 12, 21 says in the New Living Translation. Don't let evil conquer you, but conquer evil by doing good. You know, holy love. Holy love is a conquering love. It takes the offensive to soundly defeat the satanic, satanic forces of evil. We need to be on the offensive. We need to be ready to go. Holy love responds with goodness and kindness. Jesus Christ is our perfect model for that. He showed this love to those closest to him when he washed the disciples' feet in John chapter 13. He showed holy love to those in authority when he had Peter pay his temple tax in Matthew 17. He showed this love for those who crucified him as he prayed, Father, forgive them, in Luke 23. His holy love was demonstrated to one and all, for in Romans 5, 8 says, while we were still sinners, Christ died 
for us. Holy love, it needs to be demonstrated. It needs to be through us out to other people. So they see that God makes a difference in a person's life, that Jesus makes a difference in a person's life. And so when you bring Romans 12 and Romans 13 together, there should be a difference people see as we love one another, as we show that love, as we submit to authorities and pray for them, as we, as we honor them, respect them, as we continue to, to live a life that uh, shows our love for God. Those things need to be very prevalent in our lives. And we can take the example that Jesus set for us as well. We really have no excuse. <laughs> we should be walking in his ways. We should be loving like he loves. At least being on that, that pathway to do those things. And of course, we get tripped up every now and then. That's going to happen. But the key thing is the noticing when you get tripped up, you come to Christ and you go, forgive me. Help me get back on track. That's the key thing. We need to show holy love to those around us. We, if we are, again, to be, be a holy like, like God is, we must be loving like He is as well. I'm going to ask the worship team to come on up. They're going to share some music. As they do, I want you to be reminded of the God that loves you. A God that wants that relationship with you, and, it, and as he has that relationship with you, a God that wants you to go deeper in that relationship with him. Maybe God has spoken to you in some way during the, this time about how you love one another. And God is, God is here to help you be able to love like he wants you to love. Maybe you've heard from Romans 13 a challenge there as far as how we should treat our authorities, the governing authorities in our lives. How we, how we respect them or honor them by our words and by our actions. Maybe God is tapping you on the shoulder about that. Maybe God is tapping you on the shoulder about how you should be living your life if you call yourself a Christian and you, you, you proclaim God's love, and, but it's not coming out like it should. Maybe God's tapping you on the shoulder about that. Whatever the Holy Spirit's speaking to you about, I trust that you will obey Him and respond to him in obedience, at least beginning that next step of saying, okay, God, you, you, you hit me right between the eyes on this one. I need help. I need help. And all God wants you to be is honest before him. Honest and be willing to come before him so he can take care of those things in your life. So the altar is open if you want to come pray as we sing this next song.